On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks now try the Boston Celtics 2-0 in the first round series after losing again on Tuesday in Boston by double digits. The Hawks were better in the first quarter, then things got out of control and they were competitive down the stretch, but nothing quite close to putting things over the top for this Hawks team. They now return home with an eye towards at least stealing one in their own backyard, but on today's podcast, we'll get into all of the context from this game, takeaways, observations, and more on the way. You are locked on Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1455 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday, and today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app. Download the app right now at Game Time, create an account, and use the promo code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed with Game Time. I also want to encourage you, the podcast, to make us your first listen each and every day here at Locked On Hawks. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. We're also on Google Play, and we're on YouTube on the video side. And again, anywhere you get your podcast, I do appreciate you listening to the podcast today. And the show will be diving into. Quite obviously, game two between the Hawks and the Celtics, a 119-106 loss for Atlanta up in Boston, and now a 2-0 series deficit. Uh, lots to get to, obviously, from this contest, but the Hawks did have a better start in this one, leading 22-11 in the middle of the first quarter. And from that point forward, the Hawks lost their final 42 minutes by about 24 points. It was really worse than that. They were down by 20-22 in the final minutes of the fourth quarter before getting back within 13 at the very end. So the middle of the game was not great. The Hawks did not play, you know, an F minus game here. They weren't horrible in this one, but Boston is better. Boston played well as they have been in both games for the most part other than the second half of game one. And the Hawks, after a good start, really, really languished offensively for the final 18 minutes or so of the first half that really bit them. And then defensively, we'll get into how, how they sort of approach, approach things, but they weren't bad defensively, but they weren't great either. And then at the point of attack, it's been a problem all year long. It was still a problem in this game. Boston set some uh, franchise record marks in one particular area. And uh, yeah, the overall standpoint is a double digit loss. It was kind of competitive in the fourth quarter. They were within nine, 10 points with like six minutes to go. As Quince and I noted post game, they were right there. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. And that's the problem with trailing like this in every game that you've played so far. All two of them, obviously not a huge sample, but it's tough to come back from a, a huge deficit against a good team, a team that is better than you playing on his home court. Will the Hawks be able to be a little bit more in tune at home? I would say potentially, maybe even probably. And I think if the Hawks were going to win a game or two in the series, it was always more likely to be at home than on the road. But still, neither game was particularly close, which is not the most um, sort of encouraging thing if you are a Hawks believer at this point in time. As for kind of how this game transpired, I'll give you some takeaways that I saw in this one broadly, then we'll dive in later to how the game kind of flowed. And at the end of the podcast, some individual player breakdowns, as we always do on the show. And uh, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Hope you will be able to stick with me. I will do my best to outline, outline this one in the best possible way. Uh, offensively, it was just not good enough for the Hawks. Now, there's nuance there. The Hawks offensively this year have been pretty good. They were a top 10 offense during the regular season. They were in the top five post-All-Star break. They have a lot of talent. This is an offense-first roster by any construction. And with all that as the background, they had a 105 offensive rating in the competitive portion of this game. On one hand, I was encouraged by the approach. The Hawks took 48 three-point attempts. That's a season high by a lot. The previous mark was 41. So they were bombing away, and I think that's the right decision. They made 16 threes. Now, that's not a great percentage, but it's competitive. And 
when the Hawks make 16 threes in a game, they're going to win more often than not. Uh, I saw people kind of criticizing the attempts and the volume there, and I could not disagree with that attempt that was that sort of take more. The Hawks are underdogs in this series. They probably know that deep down, and they need to be taking a lot of threes to kind of level the playing field. In the end, they missed a lot of them. Uh, Bogdanovich and DeJounte Murray shot the ball very well in this game. They were 11 of 20 combined from three. The rest of the team, unfortunately, though, was five of 28, and that is uh, that's the ugly part of that. Um, you know, usually I think the Hawks would probably make a couple more from three on their looks that they got in this game, but uh, that was a little bit sort of the downside, just not making a lot of shots. And look, this is a team that's not been good um, shooting-wise all year long, and they have better shooting now than they have at times. You know, adding Sadiq Bay to the mix, although he was pretty poor in this game overall, does help. But it's been a problem to back to the summer. If you're listening to this podcast for a long time, you will note that I have been flagging the lack of shooting on the roster for a long time. And yes, it would help to have Edgy Griffin and Bogey has been playing well in recent days, but it's not quite enough at the highest levels. And it's been, I think, showing in this series. Elsewhere on offense, they were not good around the rim. 51% on twos is below average. Not enough as far as attempts are in my mind at the rim as well. Lots of floaters, mid-rangers, like not terrible shots, but not great efficiency uh, attempts except for the threes in this one. And the bigger problems, though, came elsewhere in the supporting numbers. They were four of eight at the free throw line in the full game. Four of eight. Now, to be fair, Boston only attempted 10 free throw attempts. So it wasn't like they were bludgeoned there in terms of attempts. And there was not a lot of whistles in this game. But to only get eight free throw attempts in the whole game and make four of them is really rough. They didn't have a free, they did not make a free throw in this game until the fourth quarter. That is startling. Um, also, 16 turnovers in the game. That is not like egregiously awful, but they had 10 in the first half, and that is what they could not overcome. They were good on the offensive glass all the way around. That definitely helped, and the Hawks did win the possession battle. Again, I am big into preaching the Hawks, especially with the way that they're built against this Boston team, have to win the possession battle, and they did in this game. But it, it just could not overcome Boston's shooting efficiency because, again, but both, in both games, Boston just shot the ball so much better than the Hawks did. Um, and, that, and, and when I say shot the ball – I mean just making shots. It doesn't mean necessarily always on the perimeter. Boston got to the rim a lot in this game, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, we'll talk about it more later as a last thing on the offense. But, uh, you know, I've been saying it for a while. This is not the hottest take. It's a pretty obvious um, observation. But if Trey Young plays like he's like, like he's played in the first two games, the Hawks cannot win, uh, at least in the big picture. Could they steal a game potentially if Trey didn't play well? Sure, they can. But they can't win the series if he's going to play like this. Now, he was better in the second half of this game. I thought he was notably more in tune after halftime, more under control. Uh, the approach was better, and that is encouraging. And it's tough for him. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. Like the Hawks are not built very well around him right now against this Boston defense, which is, by the way, awesome. So that's there's challenges everywhere. But when you're the number one guy by a lot, you can't play like he's been playing. And that happened last year in the playoffs, and it got some attention. Not for me, not even enough locally. And then this year, it's two games, but he's not played well. And, you know, the Hawks are already underdogs, whether Tread plays great or not. But um, it becomes even more untenable if he, if he does not play at a pretty high level. He's not been playing all that well. So we'll leave it there for now. And they, honestly, they kind of wasted, I'm, I'm going to say in, in a flippant way, but they kind of wasted a great shooting night from DeJounte Murray, at least in the second half. Also, Bogey shot the ball very well off the bench. And those, those two guys um, were enough to kind of make things interesting. But nobody else really had it going in this one. Uh, defensively, it was not as bad as the offensive numbers were but a 117 defensive rating in the game. That does include a heave by Malcolm Brogdon that went in at the end of the quarter. Uh, that was a tough shot for the Hawks to withstand. So if you remove that, it's about 115. That's not good, but it's not bad against Boston's offense. The problem was that Boston continues to make shots, and they got great looks the entire game. They were 
60% or more from two in this game, 45% from three. The Hawks did take more threes than the Celtics, which I actually like, but Boston is just a much better shooting team. They've been making them at a higher level, and that is what you would project moving forward because they're a better shooting team all the way around. Hawks did do a good job not fouling and, and also rebounding at a high level defensively in this game. That helped them. But once again, as I've been saying all year long, the point of attack defensively was one of their biggest, biggest issues. And for me, it's been their number one problem for the whole season on the whole. And Boston had 64 points in the paint. That is their most in a playoff game in about 25 years. So that's not that crazy of a number, but for a playoff game with a team that shoots a lot from the perimeter, that's a lot. And they got, they were so efficient. And look, it's not because of bad rim protection. The Hawks are blessed with some pretty good defensive bigs. But when there's a runway to the rim all the time and your bigs are having to guard Al Horford on the perimeter, things get pretty dicey. And it's not, it was not terrible defensively, but it was not good either. And when the Hawks tried to go small at the end of the game, trying to catch up, which is the right move in some respects, they couldn't get stops. And that makes sense. And then if they go with more normal lineups, they couldn't score. So, and the bench couldn't score the entire way. Um, you know, defensively, individually, they have some problems, obviously. I think Hunter's not been great in this series defensively. Murray's on-ball stuff's been bad. Trey is Trey. Bogey is Bogey. Sadiq Bey struggled in this game. So individual player stuff, all of that. But defensively, it wasn't great. I think it was better defense than offense in this one for Atlanta, which is not where you want to be. For the Hawks, again, this is an offense-first roster. They are built to score, and they did not score in this game. That's a very simple way to put it, but it's definitely what happened along the way. And big picture before we dive into the game itself – the Hawks were 10 and a half underdogs in this game for a reason. That was their largest point spread underdog of the season for Atlanta, even larger than the Denver back-to-back in the regular season, uh, larger than the game one by a half point. So it isn't a surprise to anyone that the Hawks lost this game. And they were hanging around to cover. They ended up not covering. But um, again, big, big picture, the Hawks now trail 2-0 in the best of seven series. And those teams in that situation with no other context at all win about 8% of the time in NBA history. That's already really tough. The number's a lot worse for seven or eight seeds for obvious reasons. They're playing better teams. And our friends at FanDuel paint a pretty ugly picture right now for the Hawks in this series. I looked it up before we started recording. Boston is listed as a minus 7,000 favorite to win the series. That means you have to bet $70 on Boston to win a dollar if they want to back them in the series. The implied odds there is Boston at 98.6%. I'm not trying to paint the dudes a picture. But uh, the Hawks are in trouble. That's out, very obvious to everybody that's looking there. Uh, you know, the old adage that the, the season, the series does not start till a home team loses. That has not happened in the series. Maybe the Hawks go back at home and win two games in a row. That's not out of the question entirely. But obviously having to win four of the last five against Boston with only three of those at home is a pretty tough ask for this Hawks team. And they kind of had to steal one on the road to make this interesting. They didn't do that. And we'll get into kind of how this game looked in a second. And uh, we'll wrap up the end of the podcast with some individual player breakdowns, et cetera. But first, though, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. It's the coolest game I've played in a very long time. Like a lot of people, I grew up trying to be an NBA GM along the margins. And as it turns out, it's not all that easy to build your own franchise. If you have the same thought, picture managing your own basketball franchise, go ahead and download the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM app right now. You're responsible for hiring the coaches that you are going to have on your roster, trading the players, dealing with personalities within your franchise, making draft picks, generally navigating all of the challenges of a franchise, and really having a lot of fun doing it. This all happens in a very realistic game world, and Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free, and it's also playable offline. You can play on the go wherever you want to, as much as you want to. And we're already having fun behind the scenes. We've been talking about this stuff for a while with a lot of time podcast network hosts. 
lots of trash talk and uh, really fun to kind of dive in with your friends that are also fellow basketball diehards. And if you're listening to this podcast, as you are right now at Locked On Hawks, you'll get a 100% free boost to the franchise when you use the promo code Locked On within the game store. To download the game, visit probasketballgm.com or scan the code, look it up in the app store. That is probasketballgm.com. And when you get there, use that promo code Locked On. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. Okay, we'll open with the best part of the game for the Hawks, which is the first six minutes. They led 13-5 to out of the gate. Threes by Trey Young and John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. Hunter made his first three jump shots. After his kind of invisible first half in game one, it didn't really last. Hunter did not play all that well in this game, but he at least made some shots early on. The Hawks generally moved the ball pretty well early on. They had uh, good authority and quickness with their passing and with their cuts. And defensively, they were much more engaged as well, executing well, playing with more aggression and physicality. Capella had a great block. He played very well in the first quarter. Um, rotationally, no changes at all for the Hawks in that first in that first half. They played their usual nine guys. The Hawks were up by a twenty-one to sorry twenty-two eleven margin in the middle of the first quarter, and then disaster struck. Boston scored the next fourteen points to take the lead, and from there they never trailed again. So this is a disastrous offensive stretch. Snyder talked about it after the game as kind of when the game pivoted, and I agree. I, I think if there was one five-minute span in which the Hawks lost this game. And it's never one five-minute span. I'll be, I'll be honest about that. But if you had to pick one, I would say it's this. The Hawks went over nine from the field with five turnovers in five minutes. Did not score a point in five minutes. Again, over nine from the field, five turnovers. They got sped up. They missed some good looks, to be fair. And the turnovers were really bad. Trey had three of them. He was out of sorts. I thought he was pretty rough in that first half. Weird decision-making, trying to get fouled, just, just kind of pressing. And the offense just kind of fell apart. And honestly, Boogie made a three. That was their only bucket in the last six minutes of that first quarter. And then Boston, kind of right on cue, Brock hits like a 40-footer at the buzzer. So after all that, the Hawks are down three at the end of the first quarter after being up 11 with six minutes to go. And that's just kind of a, a gut punch in some ways. They just didn't score at all in that first quarter. Again, and, uh, 10 to 27 from the field. They got up a lot of threes, but that was kind of it. Um, turn, six turnovers in the first quarter. They can't live with that, to be honest with you. Uh, defensively, it was legitimately good, I thought, for the most part. But offensively, it just wasn't good enough. Getting back to what I talked about before on the podcast at the top of the show. Um, in the second quarter, it got even worse. Uh, it was a 23-5 overall run for the Celtics to go up by 11 at one point. Conway did have one beautiful block on Derek White that I want to make sure that I mentioned. But the bench was really rough on offense. Um, at the end of the year, second half of the season, I would say, at least the, second, the last third of the season, the bench was the kind of the strong suit of the Hawks. In this game, it was the, it was the opposite of that. Uh, the bench units were unplayable, honestly, on offense. Uh, Joe and Johnson was kind of not getting guarded at all, which is pretty obvious. And that kind of made life hard on everybody, on everybody else. Sadiq Bay really struggled in this game on both ends of the floor. Defensively, they got they sort of got out of sorts as well. So it was tough. They, went, they woke up a little bit when the Stars came back in at eight points and three possessions. Uh, Murray hit a couple of threes, which he was doing all night long, honestly. Um, and they went, but then Boston had a 13 to four run. That should have been more than that, actually. They missed, I think, two layups in that stretch, but still had a huge run there. And the Hawks go down by 12 at the halftime break. And the offense just cratered. Honestly, they scored 22 points in the first six and a half minutes of the first half. Then they scored 27 points in the next 17 and a half minutes. So that's never going to be good against anybody, especially this Boston team. They did shoot okay from three, but nothing on, on two-point range. They had uh, 10 turnovers in the first half, including seven from Trey and, and Hunter. That's tough. They got to the rim barely at all, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the second half was you know, kind of more of the same. They were actually able to play basically dead even in the second half. But if you watch the fourth quarter, the Hawks were down by 20 when the game was really over. So uh, I think the 13-point margin is probably a little bit misleading. Uh, They were 
a little bit out of sorts early on. Trey was more assertive, I thought, in the second half. Was much better. Got downhill more often, but still some mixed results offensively. Uh, both teams are turning the ball over a ton in the middle of the third quarter, like just kind of hilariously bad ball security on all sides. But didn't really help the Hawks. They were, still, they were already down by 15 points or so. Um, they were down by 20 at one point in the third. Murray then got hot and made, I think, three threes in about a four-minute span, which was huge. He had 13 points in the third quarter. And I talked about it on a recent show. Like, the Hawks were always going to need DeJounte to have a couple of big halves or quarters in this game, kind of out of nowhere, because he is prone to do that. When he's hot, he's really hot. And that happened here. Unfortunately, they, they, they couldn't quite capitalize on it. But they skipped Jalen Johnson. I want to make sure that I note that. The Hawks trimmed the rotation a lot in the second half. Um, they didn't play Johnson at all. So they played eight guys in the second half, and then Sadiq Bey just disappeared. So they basically played seven for the sort of the body of the fourth quarter. And I was fine with that. That's a very normal playoff thing to do. I think people were kind of chaining for Jalen to come back in. But if you watch the first half, he was really a liability on offense. And then defensively, he's a little bit overzealous in the series. The tools are fantastic, obviously, but he's not quite in his element, which made it probably easier to go ahead and bench him. And then Sadiq Bey was just not playing very well. Um they had this really bad possession at the start of the fourth quarter. Trey checked back in. Uh, I actually got a response from Ray Young, um, Trey's dad, about this play when I tweeted about it. And he was there and said that he thought the Hawks didn't know the play. If you watch it, that kind of makes sense. Like they just kind of didn't run anything to start the fourth quarter. It was kind of, you know, usually at a timeout play, you would run something pretty creative, but nothing really happened there. And Trey ends up taking like a step back three late in the shot clock. It was just a rough possession, kind of a spot where they, where they really couldn't afford that. Again, I said it before, but the Hawks didn't, didn't make a free throw until the 10 minute mark of the fourth quarter. They were 0-4. And again, it was a pretty stingy whistle. I think that was probably favoring Boston in this game, if I had to guess. But the Hawks just could not get to the line all the way through. Uh, I want to say, besides Murray, Bogey was the other guy that was kind of giving them good minutes. He had a couple of threes, and the Hawks were within eight with eight minutes to go. The Hawks took more threes in the first three and a half quarters of this game than they had in any game all year long, which is pretty crazy. And they went small. As I said before, late in the game, it was Young, Murray, Bogey, Hunter, and Okongwu. I was fine with that, but it is risky because of the defense. Um, if, if you're going to play young Murray Bogey together defensively, it's going to be rough, and it just, and it was to be fair. And my the, the counter would be that the Hawks are down by you know ten points there, and they're trying to outscore them, and Boston's playing small. I was okay with it. I didn't like love it, but I was fine with it. Um, it just didn't work. Uh, there was a steal and a layup by Trey to go uh, back within nine with like six minutes to go, and never got closer from there. I think the dagger happened when Al Horford hit a three with like four minutes left. The Hawks actually, actually had a pretty good defensive possession for the most part. But then Tatum threw this great cross-court pass to Horford, who, who nailed a corner three at the buzzer of the shot clock to go by 17. That was basically the end of the game. There was a timeout there. Then after the timeout, Boston had another three. And if it, was, if it wasn't already over, it was over at that point. It was a 23-9 overall run in the fourth quarter from Boston to basically end the game. Um, so, yeah, obviously a lot of game flow issues there. Like, if you look at the box score, every quarter was, like, competitive. But the Celtics so dominated the last you know 17 minutes of the first half and then basically the first i don't know 20 minutes of the second half the hawks had some garbage time points but they were down 22 something like that with like three minutes to go so like it was it was kind of a blowout it never got like full-on blowout the hawks were right there again down what eight or nine points with six minutes to go they were in the they were in the mix but they were never really in touch and we'll get into it in a second with the with regard to the individual player breakdowns but you know the bench numbers in this game plus minuses and all that were really rough Trays were pretty rough as well. A lot of that was him with the bench unit. They did not play well there at all. The starters had some offensive issues. There were all kinds of stuff across the board. And I'll just say this one more time. Uh, part of this, and it's not going to be satisfying to anybody, but Boston's just better than Atlanta. They just are. And that's not an obvious, that's a very obvious thing to say. I'll say that because Boston's the number two seed. They had the best net rating in the league this year. But 
if they play their B plus game, they're going to win, and they're they're just better, especially at home. So as much as like there's so much frustration from, from Hawks fans, and I get it, it's maddening. The Hawks are still 41 and 41. As much as I thought they were better than that this year on paper and the way that they played at times, this is a 500 basketball team trying to play a road game against a 57 win team. And like, unless they play great, they're not going to win. And they didn't play great. And there you go. All right. We'll get into the individual player breakdowns in just one second. But first, our final break to hear from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Game Talk. If you've ever been trying to find tickets for a big event at the last minute, it could really be a lot of stress added to your life. Not the best idea either for your emotions or your wallet. And after all, buy tickets should not be a hassle. With Game Time, it won't be a hassle. The fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for sports and music and comedy and theater. And they have killer deals and last minute tickets. And also they have best price guarantee. You can avoid stress and start getting hyped for the fun that you'll actually have at the event you're going to. Spring is here. There's tons of events around me, and I'm sure they're around you as well. And with Game Time, you get flash deals and last minute tickets. It's so easy as well to find out tickets for any kind of event you're looking for. You can see images of where you're going to sit with Game Time, and they also have protection if your, if your event happens to get canceled. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time, they also have tickets and deals right up to the day of the event. And the Game Time guarantee also means that you get the best possible price. If you find tickets in the same section in the same row for less, Game Time will credit you 110%, 110% of the difference of what you've paid. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets just a matter of seconds. Plus, those tickets can actually be sent directly to your phone to make things easy. Download the Game Time app right now. Create an account and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, and as we do always on the podcast, we'll end the show with our individual player breakdowns. And nine guys appeared for the Hawks in this game. Jalen Johnson played about four and a half, five minutes, only in the first half. Again, I was fine with him not coming back in the second half. He didn't play very well. He took one three, missed it. But it wasn't even about that. It was like he was not being guarded. And there's a difference here. Like, with the starters, Boston is kind of engineering the defense to let John Collins, not maybe not let, but like he's open a lot from three-point range. And that's the way to guard the Hawks. Like, they're to load up on Trey and Jante and make Hunter and Collins beat you. On the bench, it was the same sort of principle, but with Jalen, it's even more stark. Like they they really want Jalen to shoot, and they're not guarding him at all. And the Hawks haven't really figured out a way to exploit that just yet. Maybe that'll change in Game Three. That's kind of why he wasn't playing more. And then defensively, he's not really making the same impact as he possibly could because it's a tough matchup for him. He had a turnover, etc. So I was fine with it. Um, Sadiq Bay really struggled. I think Bay's been pretty good for a few weeks now. He had a really rough like first week with the Hawks when he was uh, defensively, in particular, was kind of just lost. And he kind of buckled down. He's been, he was great in the Miami game, etc. He was really rough tonight. Offensively, 0-4 from the floor. Um, you know, didn't really do anything as a passer or rebounder. And then defensively, he was cooked. Um, so I don't want to pile on. Like, Bay has had some really nice games for the Hawks this year, but he was uh, tough to play. I think that Quinn kind of revealed that in not playing him in the final, I think, 11 minutes of the game. They went without him. And usually, in small ball lineups, he might be a pretty appealing option. He was not in this one because of the way he was playing. Um, Akangwu... Eight points, nine rebounds, two blocks. He had a couple of nice flash plays. I don't think he played well in the first half. I think he got better in the second half. I had some nice moments. Um, he was fine. He didn't play great. I mean, he was one of the probably upper half guys for the Hawks because everybody else was struggling so much, but it wasn't his best work. He was better in game two than he was in game one when he's, he really was struggling a lot in game one. He sort of found it a little bit, which is nice to see, but uh, he wasn't lighting the world on fire either. Uh, I thought Bogey was good. Other than Murray, he was their second best guys, at least when compared to their normal baseline. They'll get 18 points, four assists, one turnover. Um, he, had, he It was a three of four from two, four of seven from three. He was hunting his own shot. And when Bogey is good, he is good. And they rode him. I think that was the right decision. He played 33 minutes. I was fine with that. 
as long as he's okay physically, you can play as much as you want to. Um, there's days off in the series. There's two there's two days off now, Wednesday and Thursday between games. So you want to be careful with Bogey always, but I think he was uh, one of their better guys in this game, and they had kind of had kind of had to try to ride him in the second half. And to the starters, um, Capella played the least, four points, seven rebounds, did have two steals and a block, um, two four from the floor, misses only two free throws in the game. Um, they rode with the Kongwu, and then they went with um, the non-center lineups at the end, and that was fine. I thought that Capella was probably as good as a Kongwu, maybe better than a Kongwu in this game at times, but they kind of went smaller, and I was okay with that. That's kind of the uh, the good luxury of having a Kongwu in your roster. I thought Clint was fine, though. He didn't play great, but I thought he was fine. Uh, defensively, in the first quarter, he was good, and he kind of cooled off like everybody else did. Uh, Collins, kind of the story of his shooting, honestly. He was plus eight in the game. In fact, the Hawks only had two guys that were in the plus in the plus minus, and it was Hunter and Collins. Interesting. Um, but I thought that Hunter – sorry, I thought that Collins played fine, especially defensively, but he was one of seven from three and two of 11 from the floor. And, look, he has to make shots. That's that's not a – it's a pretty obvious thing. I thought his floor game was fine, but uh, after he made 38% of his threes in the second half of the season – he had a he picked a bad night to be one of seven. Um, he was he was not alone again. The non Murray non Bogey guys combined were five of twenty eight from three, and Collins was part of that at one of seven. So six rebounds. He had he had one nice like pretty huge block. Um, did his job defensively, but um, he needed to make shots and he didn't in this game. Um, Hunter eighteen points, twelve rebounds. So when Hunter has twelve rebounds, that's stark. Like he does not rebound notably. Like does not rebound. So that was nice. Also, I. And very encouraged by Hunter taking nine threes. He only made two of them, but the fact that he was hunting a three-point shot is good. I think that I've long said I'd like to see him take more threes and less and less long twos. He still took a lot of long twos in this game, too. He took 19 shots. That's a lot of shots for DeAndre Hunter. But uh, I thought that he was at least being aggressive, which I'll take. And 12 rebounds is 12 rebounds. Now, four turnovers. And I think his ball handling was just really bad. Like, his, it's really tough. Um, that's not breaking news to anybody that's been watching the Hawks for a while, but Hunter's ball handling in traffic against good defenses is just like way below average uh, to be kind. It's pretty bad. And uh, defensively, he was, I don't know. He wasn't great. Um, they have him on Tatum a lot. Tatum kind of got what he wanted to in this game. I thought Derek White was Boston's best player, but Tatum was right there next to him with 29 and 10. So it's not like Hunter is bothering Tatum. I don't think he was like terrible defensively, but he wasn't good. And uh, again, he's the only guy on the roster that like you think has to be good defensively. And he just is not like moving the needle. Not his fault altogether, but I thought he did not play all that well despite the 18 and 12. The rebounding, though, is nice to see. And uh, in general, I like to see his aggressiveness on offense. Um, we'll end with Jante in this one because he had the best game. Uh, Trey, 24 points, six assists, five turnovers, three rebounds. He was seven of 14 on twos. That's totally fine, but two of eight on threes. And Trey has just not shot the ball well. It's not, I'm saying it all the time on the podcast public right now, but he's just not in a place where he's been making shots for a long while now. I will just, you know, again, read some numbers to you in game one, one of five from three in the, in the playing game. He didn't really, I don't think he took very many, but regular season uh, at the end of regular season, his last four games, Oh, five, Oh, five, one of four, one of six. He's just not bombing and he's not making them. Uh, he, took, he took eight. That's fine. But um, defensively, it was tough. I think Boston at times kind of figured out what, what, that, that they probably know they can pick on him whenever they want to. And then, like, I, I'm trying to make this point on Twitter today, and it's kind of a little bit of nuance involved. It's not good that Trey had five turnovers in the game, but Trey's usage dictates that, like, he could have five turnovers and be fine. The problem is he only had six assists, and he wasn't efficient as, as a scorer. So, like, if you look at the top ten guys in the league in turnovers, it's all good players. 
it's Trey, it's Jokic, it's Giannis, it's Luka, it's Tatum. Like, it's guys that are, have the ball in their hands all the time. Those guys make turnovers. Like, uh, for instance, Tatum had four tonight for Boston. Jalen Brown had four tonight for Boston. Derek White had three. Like, it's not the turnovers that are the problem. The problem is, um, for guys that are lower uses, like Hunter, that's four turnovers for Hunter is really bad. Five for Trey is not that bad. The problem is he was not his best self as a passer in this game. And then in the first half, he was just kind of out of sorts. Like, a couple of like, really rough, like, live ball turnovers. And then once he settled in, in the second half, he still wasn't efficient. Like, he played better after halftime. He did. But he was five, I think it was five for two from the floor. And, like, he's just not converting shots. So, um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like, he's got to be better. I think he knows it. I think he even said it on the podium tonight. I think that nationally it's going to be a referendum on Trey Young. And I, I get why that is. That's definitely too simplistic. Like, this is not a situation where the Hawks are losing because Trey is playing badly only. But – on the other hand, he's got to be good for them to win, and he's not been good. So, like, there's a little bit of nuance in between there. The Hawks are not playing well as a team. He's got to be better. Um, so does everybody else, to be honest with you, other than, you know, maybe Murray and Bogey in this game. But um, we'll get into all this more later on. But um, I am annoyed by the national talk about Trey. And I don't, I'm not a Trey stan. People listen to this podcast know that. Like, I'm not going to just go out there and bang the drum for Trey Young. I was, you know, it is what it is. But – uh, I think that it's gotten a little bit silly in some corners, like the fact that he was named the most overrated player in the league. I think it's there's no way he's overrated now. I mean, maybe he was two years ago when people might have been thinking he was better than he is. But like right now, I think he might even be underrated. I feel like he probably is underrated because people are just piling on all the time. And he's such a good offensive player. They're like, yeah, he has flaws. We all know that. He's he's small. He can't play defense. We all know that. And he's not super efficient as a uh, non-free throw shooter. But still, it's like Trey's still really good. And uh, he's not he's not a great good in the series. So I'll stop rambling now about Trey Young. But um, long story short, he's got to be better. He knows it. The team probably knows it. But uh, there were some signs after halftime if you if you care to kind of find them about Trey. And lastly, Dejounte Murray, twenty nine points on twenty four shots. No free throws is not great, but he was seven of thirteen from three. I love that. Um, Murray is not a three point shooter usually. He's more of a guy who likes to take long twos. But he was firing up from three. It helped that he made a bunch of them. But you know, I like to see that. He was aggressive, six, six assists as well. Um, did a four steals. I think defensively, it's kind of the same story. He's not been very good. He was getting beat by Derek White a lot in this game. Jalen Brown, same thing. But offensively, he was carrying a big load for them. And if he wasn't hot in the second half, they probably lose this game by 25 points. So there's a little bit of nuance there as well. I think that Murray will have games where he's not going to shoot like this. But the fact that he had 29 points when Trey didn't really have it going, he played 40 minutes. He was valuable. Um, it's kind of a shame that they lost this game because he kind of wasted it, but I thought Murray was huge in his shot-making along the way. All right, that's it for this for this potential game. There is one bit of news before we get out of here. Uh, multiple outlets are now reporting that Mike Bray is planning to join the Hawks as an assistant coach under Quinn Snyder next season. I think the first person that reported it was the South Bend Tribune up in uh, Notre Dame country. Um, it's been like multiple outlets now. I heard this earlier this week, and I was not 100% sure uh, that it was nailed down enough to confirm it. So uh, I've definitely heard this has been around. We'll talk about it more at some point when there's not a playoff series going on. Mike Bray was the head coach of Notre Dame for 23 seasons. So he's obviously a very accomplished guy. And uh, he has a, a, a tight relationship with Snyder dating back to Duke. They both have uh, some Coach K ties. So that's probably where this comes from. It would be new for him to be an NBA assistant. That's notable. But Bray is certainly a respected guy around the industry. We'll see what the timeline is, what his role is going to look like. It's not official. It's not been announced, but I think it's going to be happening based on all the confirmations that have been out there at this stage. And uh, first-time NBA coach, that would be interesting for sure. But I think that uh, a, a more prominent name and someone who obviously knows a lot about basketball. So there you go. The last thing, 
Game three is Friday in Atlanta, 7 o'clock. Game four is Sunday in Atlanta, 7 o'clock. Uh, the last two guaranteed home games of the year for the Hawks. If they can win one or two, then they will have a chance to another one game six. But I will have another podcast between now and game three. Um, we'll see about game three. It's going to be an interesting uh, challenge for me to cover it. I will not go, to, go into, into depth on that now, so be patient with me. But as always, I will give you every podcast that I possibly can. I think I did nine episodes in 10 days before the playoffs started and all that fun stuff. So like, we're really, really trying to give you everything we got. And I'm planning to record again on Wednesday into Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Check out the podcast anywhere you get your, uh, your shows, basically. Apple, Spotify are the most prominent ones usually, but Google Play and Stitcher, Overcast, uh, TuneIn Radio, Odyssey app, all those places. And we're also uh, over at YouTube if you'd like to watch the podcast on the video side. Also, rate and review the show. Subscribe and auto-download multiple times if you want to help the podcast out. Or follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And uh, also patreon.com slash BT rolling for my written content on the Hawks. I do appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. I know the diehards probably tuned in to the very, very end of this one. If you're a casual fan, I'm sure you're probably not dialed in still 30 minutes in to a loss in the playoffs, but I do appreciate all the support and we'll see you all later on in the week.